This is an RNZ podcast. Aucklanders will have more freedom to gather outdoors from Wednesday, but its alert level won't change. That was how TVNZ One News kicked off last Monday, soon after the announcement of, well, more Level 3 in Auckland, but with some restrictions easing, including double household bubbles and picnics in the park, as TVNZ's Corazon Miller told viewers soon after. Well, look, this is great news for Aucklanders who've been living through their longest lockdown so far of around seven weeks. So from Wednesday... But was it great for Aucklanders, some of whom were hoping for more freedom sooner, while others feared it might amount to waving the white flag on COVID, as Jessica Much Mackay told viewers soon after. The announcement was pretty wishy-washy when it comes to time frame. There wasn't anything definite. We heard Dr Bloomfield talking there saying at least four weeks for these new phases to come in. But in the meantime, Auckland's in this new three-ish level. People who'd been demanding a clear roadmap or a timetable, including many pundits in the media, were disappointed by the PM's lack of targets. But given recent news about the spread and number of new cases... Few should have been surprised that the Prime Minister didn't announce a drop to Level 2 for Auckland, except perhaps some listeners to News Talk ZB. Given politics has largely overtaken health and elimination is now over, as we sit here this morning, some sort of Level 2 is more or less likely to be coming your way Monday. Mike Hosking signing off the previous week, and he wasn't the only one on his network getting listeners' hopes up for this week that same day. Heather Duplessy-Allen. Right, well, I still reckon here today, Friday, ahead of the weekend, I still reckon it's looking good for Auckland to go to some form of Level 2 next week. But while Heather Duplessy-Allen sounded pretty upbeat the Friday before last, her mood had clearly curdled by the time she came to write her column for The Herald on Sunday last weekend. Auckland, she said, was angry, and so was she. Angry at the lockdown dragging on. Angry that the boundary will remain and we won't be able to leave the city even in Level 2. Angry at the gang members hooning around West Auckland for a funeral despite lockdown rules. And angry at the cops for not charging the lot of them. But deep into the current lockdown last month, Heather Duplessy-Allen was hosing down demands for lockdown loosening and anger about that. How can we possibly be angry about what's happening today? Delta was always going to breach our borders at some stage, and we're the last elimination country that hasn't had it. Back then, she insisted Level 4 was the only way, at least until everyone who wants the jab gets the jab. Anyone with half a brain can see that this is necessary if we want to maintain elimination, and surely that is something we do want to maintain. But by last week, Heather Duplessy-Allen had changed her tune completely, telling listeners Level 3 wasn't working, and she reacted like this on air immediately after last Monday's announcement by the Prime Minister. Elimination is over. Put a date around today, October the 4th. They finally ditched it. It has been clear for weeks to any of us half-watching this that we would never get back to COVID zero again, right? If it's in the gangs and in the homeless community, you're not going to be able to. Giving up is a good thing for us because we can just accept reality and start moving on, right? However, this roadmap is not a roadmap. She was just one of many in the media noisily demanding a so-called roadmap, but mapping out Heather Duplessy-Allen's own commentary journey in recent months, which shows several wild swerves, speed wobbles and some pretty tight and frequent U-turns. Heather Duplessy-Allen was also just one of many commentators lately who loudly and some gleefully proclaimed the elimination strategy over and several of those had cited gangs as the culprits, more on that in a minute. 
but had the powers that be really eliminated the COVID elimination strategy? Newsroom's senior political reporter Mark Dalder, who scrutinised the details of the COVID response as closely as any journalist here, said the Prime Minister did signal that in Monday's briefing outlining Auckland's pathway out of lockdown. But not explicitly though, Mark Dalder said she snuck a momentous strategic shift into her post-Cabinet address right at the end, referring to elimination in the past tense like a postscript or an afterthought. But with health experts still telling the government elimination was still achievable at that point, why give it up? Here's what TVNZ's political editor Jessica Much Mackay reckoned on TVNZ One News soon after Monday's announcement. The Prime Minister has definitely listened to the growing frustration from Auckland and eased some of those restrictions despite us not having those case numbers under control. And when COVID Response Minister Chris Hipkins was asked during Wednesday's daily briefing, was he advised that fading public compliance had led to that decision to loosen Level 3, he also cited the media as a reason. No, but we, we've certainly had clear feedback that I think the mood is fraying. Yeah. Oh, correspondence, uh, you know, the, the mood on the street, the media coverage... Chris Hipkins did clarify in that briefing he wasn't just responding to feedback via his Facebook Messenger feed, but it wasn't clear what media coverage may have influenced the government. Growing frustration that Jessica Much Mackay talked about there is real in and around Auckland after seven weeks of Level 3 and Level 4, and elsewhere over lingering at Level 2, and there's certainly been no shortage of news coverage and comment reflecting that. But the thought that strident, contrarian and often contradictory commentary that's channelling the anger of Aucklanders might have been weighed up against the advice of experts might be what Professor Michael Baker had in mind when he told One News this on Friday. The government signalled that we were moving away from elimination, which is um, understandable. I mean, it's been uh, it's really served us well for 18 months. But they didn't identify where we were going. And I think, unfortunately, the media in New Zealand and internationally uh, filled this void, and I think it was a very unfavourable um, message they then communicated. Now, Professor Baker wasn't specific about which media or what was unfavourable, but earlier in the week, former New Zealand Herald editor-in-chief Gavin Ellis cited commentary by the Herald's ZB stablemates and said that some of our news media are exhibiting signs of split personality backing the drive to boost our vaccination rates while at the same time devoting what he said were extraordinary amounts of time and space to malcontents demanding certainty where there can be none. On scoop.co.nz, another journalist who's been around the block, Gordon Campbell, claimed that commentators demanding that the government make things better during an unpredictable pandemic on a set timeline is the sort of thing you'd normally expect to hear from children. And those in the media who were itching to announce the end of elimination could now find it's a case of careful what they wished for if we all end up in a place where no one wanted to go and no roadmap for a way out. With all that in mind, it was unlikely to be good news when reporters were alerted to an unscheduled audience with the COVID response minister on Friday during the 6pm news hour. And so it proved. Based on advice from public health officials, we have agreed to move Northland to alert level 3 from 11.59pm this evening for an initial period of four days until 11.59pm on Tuesday night. As we now know, two people were involved in this breach with fraudulent documentation to travel. Neither was being cooperative, with one of them still at large after three days. Now, naturally, the media wanted to know a lot more, and when the minister said that he didn't know of any connection to gangs, 
The media didn't believe it, following claims that many recent COVID cases were gang members or families connected to people breaking the rules. And that led to a lively chat between Kim Hill and mongrel mob Waikato PR person Louise Hutchison last Thursday. I'm just putting it out there to New Zealand that the media narrative that is being driven right now... But is you're driving the media narrative. I'm no, not no, talking no. about the media this, narrative. This, this, this I'm uh, Genuinely, I am asking you for facts and figures. The, the facts and figures are currently in the Waikato, there are zero members of any gang with COVID-19. All right, I will quote you on that. Zero members of any gang in the Waikato with COVID-19. Correct. And in the same programme, Kim Hill sought clarity from mongrel mob life member Harry Tam about gang members with COVID. I know there was a number of cases where people identified to to supposedly had gang connections, but they didn't. Um, you know, um, but I well, they're claiming <laughs> they're claiming gang connections when they haven't got any. No, no, they didn't claim to have connections. The oh, I see. Claimed. Yeah, right. And so we were able to clarify that. The Northland case created more questions that the media wanted answers to the following day. And on Checkpoint, Lisa Owen said that the COVID response minister refused to say if the woman now in MIQ was a sex worker, while at the same time. Heather Duplessy-Allen on News Talk ZB as good as said she was. What kind of line of work are you in if you're not prepared to tell the contact tracers what you've been up to and who you've been seeing? Eh? Think about that. And many in the media were thinking about exactly that, but they only had social media rumour to go on until News Hub Nation on Saturday morning crossed to concerned resident of the North, Winston Peters. So you seem to have a lot of detail about this particular case, Mr Peters. Can you tell us... Um, who this person was travelling with, where they stayed in Whangarei and which marae they were at up north? I can tell you uh, who she travelled with and I can tell you which hotel she stayed at, but I'm not prepared to uh, tell you which marae at this point in time because that's known to the police and it was known to the minister, Minister Hipkins, and the government and the prime minister days ago. Winston Peters went on to say the person the woman was travelling with, reported on Friday to be another woman, was actually Harry Tam. A pretty explosive claim. That prompted News Talk ZB's Saturday morning host Jack Tame to make a call. He categorically denied those allegations. He said he hasn't been to Northland at all during this outbreak and that he's currently in Auckland. So I called him in the 10 o'clock uh, little news break there. And an hour later, he told his listeners this. Yeah, just uh, I think maybe making a phone call to the person at the centre of allegations is a base level um, sort of journalistic <laughs> expectation. So I, yeah. I can at the very yeah. least, you know, confirm that he denies the allegations. It's an explosive issue. Boy, uh, boy. Well, I mean, I think everyone's just so twitchy about about Aren't the they? spread of COVID, no, as, they, yeah. as they should be at the moment. I think a lot of us are feeling concerned. All yeah. the more reason to go and get double jabbed. And to double check claims that were made on Facebook, which may be misleading before broadcasting them. On TVNZ1 News on Saturday, reporter Helen Castles, who's based in Whangarei, told viewers this. Well, there's a real vacuum of information and that's got people talking and rumours swirling, including one in particular that's gone viral on social media that claims that the woman travelled to Northland with mongrel mob leader Harry Tam. Now, I spoke with Harry Tam this morning and he denies all involvement. He's in Auckland, he's not travelling with any woman, hasn't travelled to Northland and says he is now speaking with his lawyer in efforts to try and clear his name. So a story within a story there, and it's far from the first time Winston Peters has been involved in legal action with reputations at stake, if it gets that far. 
Now, the real story at the moment is, of course, the spread of the virus. And as if to make that point, this happened on One News less than 30 minutes later. Melissa, this is a confirmed case in the small bay of plenty town of Katikati. This information has just come in from the Ministry of Health just a few minutes ago, so forgive me, I am going to read out much of what we have just been seeing in the last few minutes. The Ministry is... The same day, the Far North Mayor John Carter said the rumours are now spreading as fast as the blimmin' COVID. And both of those are dangerous when people are twitchy and angry about exposure to the virus. And if the COVID minister's comments are to be taken literally, the government does now think that media coverage is one gauge of public appetite for compliance. Before the rogue rule-breaking COVID carrier in Northland hit the headlines on Friday, another individual was public enemy number one for many. What about you, Di? Are you feeling the anger? As someone whose livelihood depends on mass gatherings, I know I was pretty um, wound up um, seeing the old false prophet getting getting 1,000-odd people into the domain yesterday. It's Di Henwood, comedian and star of the Seven Days show on ZB's Sunday session show last weekend. And the false prophet he referred to there was, of course, Brian Tamaki, the boss of Destiny Church, who helped to get over 1,000 overwhelmingly unmasked and mostly undistanced people to the Auckland domain to protest against COVID restrictions and in favour of freedom the weekend before. And while that protest got most of the media attention, there were others as well. One in Dunedin drew more than 100 people, including a city councillor, according to the Otago Daily Times. And at one in Gisborne, the main MC Leighton Packer, who's a local leader of the Destiny Church there, aired a smorgasbord of freedom-related grievances. And I'm standing for our water. I'm standing for um, our children. I'm standing um, for the freedoms of farmers. I'm standing against the ute tax. So there's many things that I'm standing for. But while the headlines picked out Destiny Church, a journalist looking on from a long way away noticed that the so-called family freedom protest wasn't all Brian Tamaki's work. Kiwi journalist David Farrier has called out the media for focusing on Destiny Church and its anti-lockdown antics while letting other churches, such as so-called white megachurch, the City Impact Church, off the hook. In conversation with Jesse Mulligan on RNZ National and later in A Piece for Stuff, David Ferry argued that our media have a bit of tunnel vision on Brian Tamaki and Destiny Church, while other religious influences went well under the media radar. And they're just being ignored because they're boring and it doesn't seem as... Um literally as as colourful as the media wants them to be. And David Ferrier went on to quote from Peter Mortlock, the leader of the City Impact Church, who also got behind last weekend's rule-breaking protest. He said, I don't believe the government right now, I don't believe the media, I don't trust Big Pharma either. Why is that? Well, if I mention the name Bill Gates or George Soros or Anthony Fauci, and it's not about conspiracy, it's just about plain facts, right? That's a direct quote, and that's the kind of stuff he's saying regularly. Now, in their own online posts, both those church leaders claimed the last weekend's protests were not organised by them, but by a previously unknown outfit called the Freedom and Rights Coalition. And the backers of that certainly know their way around social media, as one man who moderates the Facebook pages of some Auckland community groups told News Talk ZB last Sunday. The Freedom and Rights Coalition. They've been spamming all over the South Auckland and pages, sort of trying to drum up a whole lot of 
interest in those sort of low socioeconomic environments getting a groundswell, unfortunately, mm. out there. There's people with the freedom, the freedoms and rights coalition on their like Facebook profile that you can see. It's a very definitive black and white logo. If you see it, just block them, just delete them, and walk away. It is. Yeah. It's just frustrating. Yeah, indeed. Some of the people frustrated at what seemed to be a softly, softly approach to last weekend's protests by the police were cheered up when they eventually announced that two organisers, including Brian Tamaki, would be charged. And Heather Duplessis Ellen was one of those pleased to hear it. Charge him for one reason and one reason only that I care about, which is social cohesion. But airing her own anger at lockdowns and her grievances against the government's COVID response almost daily over recent months hasn't helped social cohesion a great deal either. In the same edition of The Herald on Sunday, her ZB colleague Kerry McIver wrote, if we're not out of Level 3 this week, I'll bloody well be signing up to Tamaki's next protest. And she didn't mean that last bit, but some readers reacted badly and took to social media to say they were canning the Herald subscriptions over it. Hayden Donnell took a look at that in this week's Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday, along with a look at a rough week for Facebook as a former employee spilled dark secrets about the company on nationwide TV in the US. It's easier to inspire people to anger than it is to other emotions. Misinformation, angry content is enticing to people and keeps them on the platform. Yes. And on Midweek Media Watch, Hayden also praised TVNZ host Hilary Barry for doing her bit by incentivising her newly vaxxed viewers by treating them to a chocolate fish in the post. That's available on our page of the RNZ website or the RNZ app if you missed it or you'll find it in our podcast feed.